Welcome in to the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brooks, Brian Christofferson, here on Valentine's Day. Do either of you guys remember being particularly excited as a child about the Valentines that you had bought to pass out to your classmates? Like, was there, like, do you, do you remember the type of Valentines you would have been buying in circa 1992 and I assume BC wasn't in high school by 1992. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> it's pretty close, though, actually. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I, I said it, and I was like, well, that's probably puts him, like, right around seventh grade. So <laughs> I was not worried about my Valentine's that I handed out. I was – there was probably a time or two, like, in third or fourth grade where I analyzed, like, what a girl in class – might have if she put like a heart on it or something mm. you know where you're starting to think like maybe maybe that girl likes me you know and um so you'd kind of study a little bit too much um if something meant meant what you hoped it meant as a as a young boy um at sunny slope elementary school so uh that that's my valentine's uh story Brunch, you got a Valentine story? Uh, Michael Jordan Valentine's all the way. That that was oh. what was being passed out. Um, I had some of those, yeah. Yeah, it was <laughs> whoever made them didn't want to pay the licensing gig for to the NBA, so it was like Michael Jordan in like generic like shopco looking um, basketball clothing. So. I, that always kind of made me laugh a little bit because it's like, okay, we know this is Michael Jordan. We know who he plays for, but he's wearing like a champion athletic top. So I, I immediately was wondering if he was like, wasn't sort of his vintage look basically a Hanes white tee and then super baggy black trousers. Yeah. Like 90 style, you know, dress pants. There, there's a fair amount of bandwidth on Twitter dedicated to Michael Jordan's very par- parachutey pants. Like, especially like post retirement, the guy yeah. loves a the guy loves wearing like a three person tent around his legs. It's like the 2001 NBA draft or whatever that one yeah. is, where the picture of the guys in the suits that are all seven times too big. Yep. yep. I feel like by the time I was starting to wear suits, it was like completely expected that it was going to be a much tighter fit like i did did either of you have a baggy suit were you part of that craze no not that baggy i did have some mm-hmm. uh embarrassingly baggy jeans though that i wore like in college and like jeanco did you have jeans not, not i didn't i didn't go to that level because i knew some people could pull that off i knew that wasn't my uh my look but yeah i i there's some pictures that I would like to delete from the record from uh, like 1996 to 2004, probably. How do you guys feel that the nineties Renaissance is coming? Like every, everything is about the nineties. Now we've, it, we're getting a full year of just Pam Anderson. Uh, the nineties show is a thing that exists. Like I, I just feel like we're in the cycle now where it's about 30 years old. And so everyone's sort of curious about it that didn't live through it and all of this stuff is going to be rehashed and they're making white men can't jump. It's a remake of that movie. I don't know why you need to remake that movie, but that's happening. How do you, how do you feel about it? Your childhood is going to be on display. I don't think, I don't think uh, 
there's there I don't think they're gonna ever be the full appreciation for that. And I I've thought this like now having kids of my own who just expect that you naturally can stream entertainment and you don't have to watch commercials and you don't even know what commercials are. And like terrestrial radio is not a thing. And it's like I was trying to explain to my four year old the other day that like when something was on when I was a kid and you didn't watch it, you missed it. Like or you had to tape it. Like and then that was like a whole nother rabbit hole about what a tape was and what a VCR was. And it's, it was, it was bad, but no, it's, it's, uh, it's fine. There's, they're starting to get to be some eighties, late eighties music that's showing up on oldies stations, which is a little bit concerning to me, <laughs> but, um, like, like what? give me an example. No, like a St. lot of like, fire. Yeah. Like St. Like, Elmo's fire is on a, on a classics station like, now. Like when I was growing up, like in Omaha, the the ninety nine point nine was always KGOR, like KGOR, yeah. KGOR was the oldie station, and it was like songs from the fifties that made you feel good. The songs that pick you up and yeah. make you feel good. That was those, the exact- so- those songs were like forty years old at the time, and yeah. if you think like eighties <laughs> music is now like almost forty years old, like that's where we're at. So, um, I don't know. I I, uh, I I just don't know, Mike. You're talking about how kids nowadays would expect everything to be streamed. That's one of the beauties of sports still is that it's the one thing where it happens at a certain time and there's sort of that community aspect to watching it, whereas everything else that's gone away. And that's something I think that's actually been kind of lost, you know, like where it used to be like, oh, this is the the finale of Seinfeld is on this Thursday night, you know, the last episode. And it was like an event across the country or cheers or whatever that show was. And uh, those days are over, you know, now like Ted Lasso's coming March 15th, season three, people will watch it in their time and they'll, you know, nobody's connected to it at this exact same moment. The the name of this podcast is going to be the Husker 24-7 podcast. We're losing our connectivity. Old, <laughs> old guy takes. Yeah. I like basically. it. You guys have more? Let's keep this going. Oh, I could go. We could do like three hours of old guy takes, and it wouldn't it wouldn't play well for me to do that. Okay. So I feel like you two are, are good people to ask of this. I was in a group text yesterday. Uh, the Counting Crows came up. What would you regard as their most – popular song it's mr jones right i think so. I, w- I would say so but that i feel like that's the song that's most synonymous with them and i i was getting pushback on this and it was like baffling to me i don't know what else would be considered like more of a counting crow song than that what's the most 90s song there is to you it could be mr jones i feel is that like it it's- it could be that oh, or something off of uh, Hootie's big album. Probably something from Nirvana, I would say. Oh, it smells if, like Teen Spirit. If you're going yeah. that direction, but that's number yeah. one for sure. But like, if when I hear "Hey Jealousy" by the Gin Blossoms, I'm like back in my ca- car in high school. Like every I was just time, just listening to them yesterday. <laughs> it follow trans- you down, all of that. Yeah, it transports me back to 1997, and it feels good for like four minutes. You, like you that. pull that CD out of the out of the little black book underneath your driver's side. <laughs> I got rid there. of that. Okay. I got rid of my uh, no, CD. No, yeah, it's wow. over. Did you like? Did you like put the CDs for free on the Facebook Marketplace? No, I probably should have. I think I just threw them out. <laughs> wow, wow. 
Someone who went dumpster diving had a hell of a weekend when they found that. <laughs> yeah. I found a trash can from 1994. <laughs> Squirrel nut zippers banned. Yeah. You guys, you guys right. into the zippers? Crash test dummies? What is this crap? None of it. None of it. Try the squirrel nut zippers out. I uh, give them a listen. Not for I, everybody. They were good <laughs> for about two weeks in like 1994, 95. I saw them in concert like a year and a half ago. I won't go on about <laughs> it. But <laughs> all right, we are uh, we're eight minutes into the most off-season yeah. podcast we've had so far. Yeah, let's talk about Dylan Rayola. How about that? We'll give the people what they want. I put in a crystal ball yesterday. I don't know if you guys are tempted to uh, to tail on that or not. Um, continue to feel that this is heading in a direction where Nebraska, I think, is a favorite. I don't think that it's an overwhelming favorite. I don't think that this is a slam dunk. I think my four of confidence probably should belie some of that to, to people. But I do think Nebraska is uh, the team to beat right now for Dylan Rayola. And I have to admit, guys, I'm pretty surprised we're at this point. I mean, I, you know, even when he opened things up from Ohio state, I just spent a lot of time wondering like, what is the pull to Nebraska for him that has nothing to do with his uncle or his dad. And maybe that's hard to separate. Uh, but it certainly feels like Matt rule and his staff have done a lot in terms of recruiting him and building relationships in a pretty quick fashion. Um, where are you guys at with Dylan Rayola? We'll start with BC who's talked to the man. <clears throat> yeah, I I agreed with your pick right now. Um, and I think you framed it pretty well. I, it's not one of those deals where you should act like Nebraska's way out in front or you're trying – I mean, we're trying to get inside a, a teenager's head. That's always a dangerous, especially when you're going up against USC and Georgia and, and some powerhouses. But I feel like rule staff in a couple months has really – uh, communicated their vision well of what they're doing and what their plan is. And we've had the interviews on our site with Dominic Riola about how these guys are on a mission and basically he believes they're going to turn around. So uh, Dominic Riola and that the family is not accepting what was Nebraska of the last few years is going to be what is uh, he thinks it's going to be different. It's uh and I think people around here need to, you know, it's a new staff and you have to open your mind up to the idea that good things can happen. <laughs> I think people are so used to like, no, that's not going to work. Something is wrong is going to happen. And maybe maybe he will pick somewhere else. But right now, I think it's very fair to say Nebraska uh, is right where you said they were in the crystal ball. I think I think you're on target. Brunch, you got anything you want to add to Dylan Rayola? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know that it's. I don't know that – go back to your first thing. Like, I don't know that you can separate out, like, the the family aspect of it with him. Like, I think when you have your dad's name retired on the walls of the stadium, I mean, I think that that school is always going to loom. Um, I think that, uh, you know, certainly he's aware of, of Nebraska and Nebraska at – he's aware of what Nebraska was at its best and what it can be. I think, you know, what, what's changed is you've seen, you know, Matt rule and his staff, not only through what they say, but also what they do showing that he's an absolute priority. I mean, you, you Matt rule goes down there the first chance he, he has in January, 
you send the entire staff down there minus one person uh, right before the dead period. Um, and and so I, I think that that piece of it matters. I think also the way that, you know, Matt Rule and his staff recruit, I think it, it helps. I mean, I think a lot of coaches kind of lead with the holistic recruiting and, you know, development of the person off the field. But I think I think there's something to it with Matt Rule and his staff that they actually do that. And they've done that at other stops. And so it's, at least from the Nebraska perspective, a much different recruitment and, and you know, kind of pursuit than it was three months ago. And I think that that, that definitely matters. I think, too, if you just look at what the depth charts are, you know, what you would say probably his three leading schools are right now at Nebraska, Georgia, and USC. Um that road looks a hell of a lot clearer at Nebraska than it does at the other two stops right now. So I, I, I think Nebraska, you know, in the past month or so has, has put itself in a great position. And I think your, your, your crystal ball, I don't, I don't think was, I don't think you were speaking out of school. I mean, I, I think Nebraska's right, uh, right there for it. One of the things that I have struggled with, with Dylan Rayola is putting into context, like, he is the number one player in the 2024 class. I mean, the the single highest rated recruit that I think any of the three of us have covered is Wandale Robinson at like 38, maybe, or Turner Corcoran in that territory. Um, <clears throat> Tyjon Lindsay might have been a higher composite uh, rated guy. Um, but what was Micah reason, Parsons? Well... Yeah, that's true. But I'm talking about commitment. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, Micah Parsons was the five-star that I would say they had the single best chance with um, that. Well, Darnay Holmes um, was right there, too. I mean, those two guys, I'm trying to think if there's really anybody else. But, yeah, I mean, from a commitment standpoint, not only is this, like, the number one, it's so far and away different than what we're used to covering that I, one of the things about this, if Nebraska pulls this off, what he does in terms of being a Pied Piper, uh, potentially helping bring, you know, other offensive players, uh, Will Turboff, who works with us at, at Husker 24-7, um, posted in the crystal ball thing about a top 247 offensive lineman that basically said, like, yeah, I want to play with a good quarterback like that. I mean, I don't. I don't know that we've seen a lot of players that Nebraska's added that have that ability to bring, you know, maybe one guy with them. But Rayola kind of has the ability to help you recruit multiple spots on your offense and then certainly team wide. I mean, it's just a it's a very unique thing that we really haven't seen a lot of. I mean, even just if you limited it just to quarterbacks, I mean, a lot of the guys Nebraska's been around are sort of in that high three-star, low four-star range, and maybe the eighth, ninth, tenth, to sixteenth best quarterback in a class, this is a number one guy, number one quarterback. Like, it is obviously a big deal, but it is so much even bigger than I sometimes feel like I make it on paper. Yeah, it definitely has the opportunity to start within the recruiting landscape a movement to Nebraska in this cycle. I think, uh, you know, you see that a little bit to our 
our neighbor at Colorado right now with the Deion Sanders waves of like there, it feels like there's a lot of recruits who like sense there's, there's something happening there. I got to take a big look at that. And I think there's some of that with Nebraska too, but Ryola takes that up like three notches because all these guys, they know who's at the top of these rankings. I mean, they, some are more into it than others, but everybody has a good sense of like, yeah, that's the dude. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's something special that must be happening with this staff, or I at least got to listen to what they're saying because it was it was good enough for him. If this happens, of course, we're that's the caveat. But um, yeah, I, it'll be exciting to see if it does what that does to the potential of the the ranking of this class. It could be something we haven't seen in quite some time. It's it's interesting too with him and and getting into the peer peer recruiting aspect of of what that could potentially be. I mean he he's lived and played in Texas. He's in Arizona now. He's he's gone to two very big high schools in, in Arizona where there's you know a lot of talent there. Um, he trains in Los Angeles. Um, you know he spent time in, in I think in Georgia. I think when he was playing a lot of baseball. Um, before he kind of started focusing more on football. So, I mean, he, he's a name um, apart just from like the number one ranking thing. I mean, I, I think he's kind of known in those areas as, you know, a, a, a kind of a personality that kids kind of gravitate towards. And, um, you know, certainly when you're the number one quarterback in the, in the country that carries with it some, some cash too. So, um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, Dominic Rayola too. I, I, you know, he's a high school coach. I mean, he's, he's, you know, kind of keeps his eye on things in Southern California and um, in Texas. And, and that's another kind of piece to it too. But yeah, I mean, you know, everybody makes jokes about the Calabrasca stuff and, and Buki and, and those are kinds of things. But um, I mean, when you have the number, if, if you potentially have the number one player in the country, I mean, that that's a game changer in terms of, you know, just instant credibility with, with top recruits. Was, was Brendan Bradley Hiles? He wasn't a five-star when he committed though, right? I'm no, I actually just looked to another guy that, I mean, he didn't commit, but he visited and was tied to Talanoa Hufunga. Oh yeah. Uh, but he was, uh, I mean, that he, he, he was even kind of more isolated up in Oregon. I don't know that he really had the, um, the chops that somebody like Rayola would. Yeah, that was a USC, uh, Oregon, and kind of Nebraska situation there for a while. Now he's a pretty good defensive back for the 49ers. All right, anything you guys want to add recruiting-wise, football-wise, before we take a quick timeout here? Did you think it was a penalty on uh, the defensive back from the Eagles? Yeah. Yes, I didn't want it called there, but I mean, he, he held him, so it was a late flag. Good to see the good to see the Chiefs get the benefit of a call once in a while. Yeah, they never do. It's just tough for them. Guy's got his Denver Broncos beanie on, and he's yeah. not not happy. I I thought it was a uh, um I would I wish he wouldn't have called it. It was one of those gray area calls where I think there's there's calls that fall into that you know, realm where it's like, it could, you could call it or you, you everybody acts like it has to be one or the other. Right. It, it's one of those calls where you could flip a coin on it. 
Two things can be true. I, I, as a football fan, could have been rooting for Philadelphia to have a chance to tie that game uh, with a final drive. And and that also could have been a, a – I mean, yeah, in the first quarter, that's a no-doubt – a no-doubter. It's uh, that That's just a tough one. I, I'm surprised that the NFL didn't have some kind of thing in, in, in place to make sure that there was, there was going to be at least a final drive. It's very un-NFL-like to have that – that's uh, – the big big weekend for referring to it as the script. So yeah. Uh yeah. do you guys know what an octopus is as it relates to football gambling? No. No. An octopus is when you score the touchdown and then you also score the two-point conversion. Same player. So Jalen Hurts had an <laughs> octopus in the in the Super Bowl. Just just learned about it this weekend, and apparently this is gonna be a thing now. So you're welcome. Hmm. Learned something new today. There you go. BC, did you did you make any exciting new appetizers for the Super Bowl? You were asking folks. <clears throat> no, I didn't. So everybody who put in their recipe on our website <laughs> did it all for not. But um, are you gonna make a cookbook that you'll distribute to our subscribers? <laughs> we could do that. Yeah. I I, Internet I do that for, cookbook. I do that for the sake of everybody, though. I feel like it's always nice if you have like a I like when people give a cheat sheet on a really simple recipe on a day oh, like yeah. that and people can take or leave. But um, yeah, I didn't make anything too, too great. Had my folks over. We, as you guys know, we were painting our basement. Uh, yeah. We had a little catastrophe downstairs. So my dad and I were all covered in paint. I still have it in my hair and all that, but. Um, uh, purple and yellow, right? For the Vikings. Sea <laughs> frost, Sea frost, S frost. Because S Frost always <laughs> S Frost always works in Nebraska. Yeah. It's uh quite the quite the gamble you're making on that basement. Yeah. It's the, the onside right. kick of paints. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna get into a little basketball, another big home win. Uh, can they get a big road win? Rutgers on Tuesday night. And then Michael Brunts will fill us in on what to know as Nebraska has their first series of the year for baseball all that more when we return all right bc kasei tomanaga is this uh is this a thing can we expect 20 points a night now from kasei <clears throat> could be tough against Rutgers. i mean they, they have a way of uh making guys uh struggle for it so if he puts up 20 tonight he'll have earned it uh, but it's been fun. I, I wrote about him last night on the site. Like even in the arena, every time he touches the ball in the arena now, there's a little bit of buzz to it. Like I, it was funny to me with, I think it was an overtime with a minute and a half, two minutes left. It was a time where you want to milk the clock in case they from about 30 feet wound up, gave the old fake, like he might pull the trigger. And you're kind of like, I don't know, maybe, maybe he's going to do it. Like that, that that's kind of his game. Uh, but he's done that a few times, and I always, I just enjoy the psych move that he has. You want to talk about '90s terminology, psych or not, where he's like not and uh, pulls it back. So I've really had fun watching him the last week, and it's been a very good week for Fred Hoiberg. I mean, um, I don't know what the big picture conversation exactly where it was two weeks ago, or if it's changed or not changed at all. Uh, but I think the public perception is different when you have two back-to-back -back satisfying games at PBA with a good crowd on hand. 
where if you had uh, if you had crapped the bed and you had lost one or both those games by 15 points and people are walking out with a it's a fire drill with six minutes left heading in the exits you guys I mean it, it would be a different conversation around here right now about how things have gone so um, it, it was a very useful week as far as that conversation goes for the program. Now you could argue if it really means that much or not in the big picture. And that's fair, but I do think the the current perception uh, is higher than it's been in a while because of that comeback. Yeah. I honestly, I wrote about it. That crowd on Saturday was really, really good. I mean, it was a nice day out. It's an 11 win team. And obviously, I think having Wisconsin and and Chucky Hepburn in the building probably helped um, ignite a little more intrigue. But that crowd was was ready to go. And there was a group of high school kids um, in front of me and they were all fired up. And that made it more fun for the section I was sitting in. And it was was great to see. Like, I I really I don't want to belabor this because I don't want it to just, you know, come off as hollow or anything. But the the support Nebraska athletics gets relative to the results people have seen over these last few years is just incredible. And it's one of those things that if they just put it together, there's a, they have a, they have the, everything sort of is here. They just need the wins. Like I just, I can't get over that sometimes. Like there's, you watch other games. I mean, I think when Nebraska was playing at Michigan on Tuesday night at like five 30, so six 30 Eastern time is a pretty empty arena. And we're talking about Michigan. Like that's a place that, you know, you should expect, They've had multiple championship game appearances in the last decade. And understandably, Nebraska isn't going to bring a ton of people out, I suppose. But um, the support here is just remarkable. And I just want to mention that. Brunt, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a good win. We're they 9-3 and three at home now with, with a loss to basic, basically what should have been a, a win against Purdue and losses to Illinois and Northwestern. Northwestern. Is that the yeah. other one? Yeah, Northwestern. So, Who, who's good, by the way? I mean, Northwestern's solid. They just yeah, beat they, Purdue. They just beat Purdue, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what it looks like the rest of the way, but, I mean, the schedule shapes up okay. Um, they, they've got, you know, a stretch of road game or a stretch of home games coming up here where you can do something. And, you know, I, I don't know that they're I, – I think it's going to be tough to get out of that first day of the Big Ten tournament, but um, – you know, they're still fighting. I think they're, you know, the, the way that this team plays, I think is in part, you know, why you're still seeing the support that you are for the team. I mean, I think that's a big piece of it. And I, I, I do think, you know, you're talking kind of big picture, Brian. I think this probably, uh, you know, gives gives Fred next year. I mean, I, I think that's kind of where we're at right now, um, you know, because you've, you beat Creighton, you beat Iowa, you beat Wisconsin. I mean, that's um, th- those are, are you know feathers that Nebraska basketball has not had in its cap for a few years now. So I, I think unless things just completely fall out the bottom, I, I think they, they've got a chance to maybe finish the this, the regular season with a little momentum, a little feel good story. Yeah. yeah, I mean, whatever people think about the last week and if it, it affected anything or not. Uh, Trev has had public comments, which suggests that he has seen progress. And then, you know, Ted Carter's tweeting after the game. Oh, this is the, you know, one of the best wins and stuff. Uh, so it just sort of feels like the people who matter are are aiming toward the direction of of running it back. And I think 
probably under the uh, opinion that Fred Hoiberg changed his direction and, and recalculated this last offseason. And yes, you wish you had a couple of those years back and maybe it would have happened a year or two previous to this where you did that uh, change, of course. But uh, better late than never. And now let's see where it goes. But they are going to have to do some serious recruiting and get it landed dude or two in this offseason because it's another uh, I mean, you think about Grissel and Walker. I mean, Walker is just a guy. I know he had a turnover prone game the other day but can't take for granted just like how difficult that matchup is for for the opposition and how he facilitates Nebraska's offense so that he's going to be a tough guy to replace what's Nebraska's best win this year would you guys say Brian um I would say uh I mean the Creighton game just but I mean I know CU was scuffling at that point but where you see where they're at now, I think that's the one that, that stands out to me. Do you have another one in mind? Or, um, I mean, I thought su- or Saturday's win over Wisconsin was the most fun and like the most like um, captivating for various reasons because of Tominaga and also just, uh, you know, it was the biggest comeback in PBA history. So it's something you just don't see a lot. And the way they erased that lead in five minutes was incredible. It was just like a boring kind of it felt like oh this is going to be a sad story type of game where it's over with eight minutes left and then a few minutes later like right Nebraska's gonna win this thing maybe yeah now it to me it's it's still Creighton I mean I I they kind of caught Creighton at the right time I mean if we're being honest but I think you know Creighton's gonna where they're headed I mean I, I still think that was a good team um and will be thought of as a decent team um the thing that, you know, it gives me a little pause. I mean, Wisconsin's probably not, not a tournament team. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of getting the job done against teams that you, you have to get the job done against if you're going to get into that kind of mid-pack of the Big Ten standings right now. And that's mm-hmm. that's that's a step. I mean, if we're being honest, I mean, this is a basketball program that's struggled to, to win by games the last few years. So, um you know, I, I take that as progress, but I, to me that, that Creighton game is still the bigger win. I mean, I, I know what Ted Carter said um, and yeah, conference wins matter, but th- there's just uh, to me a little bit more like five years from now, you're probably still going to be referring back to that game, that win over Creighton <laughs> versus whatever you did against Wisconsin this past weekend. Oh, and that's just the way it is. We'll be talking about the final four trip in <clears throat> 24, 25, five years from now. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so there's that. They're 12 and 14. We'll finish it up with this on basketball. So they have five games left in the regular season. Now, if you're really a kind of a dreamer, an optimist, they would have to win four of the five, you know, to get where you're uh, on the plus side with the win loss column. And that would open up other opportunities. So that's going to be difficult. So honestly, if, if we're going to really uh, entertain that conversation, a big part of it comes to Tuesday night. And if they surprised people and uh, won at Rutgers, which is a very difficult place nowadays to win a basketball game and they're a rugged team. And uh, I don't like the matchup, I'll be honest, but um, if they're going to change the conversation a major way about like, Oh, there's even more to this season. It's actually tonight's a big tilter. And if that's possible, you're going to need Tominaga to be like super Tominaga tonight. I feel like 
Tukertomanaga. You're going to need to make some shots. You're going to have to make a run or two because, like you, you know, Rutgers is just a program that now that they, they just kind of they get you down in the mud and they just wrestle you for 40 minutes. I mean that that's that's how it is. So um, that that's going to be. I, I agree. That's a tough matchup, and especially if it's if if Nebraska can't avoid foul trouble, they're they're in for a, a long night. I think. All right, something else is happening. It's the start of baseball season. And uh, set it up for us, Brunts. I mean, last year, of course, there was all the optimism of trying to build off a, a really exciting run, uh, you know, a couple years ago, where I think it kind of got the casual fan really like watching Husker baseball again. And then so last year was a clunker. And so they got to they gotta rebuild it up a little bit. But what do you think about their their opportunity to do so with with what you know know about this roster right now it's it's interesting like you know the the year they won the big 10 title they nebraska wasn't really even in the preseason conversation last year they were picked by coaches to win the league they missed the big 10 tournament um you know this year i think there's probably going to be a little bit fewer expectations in terms of you know, what this team can be at, at the conference level. I mean, they, they, I would say they're probably fourth in the league right now, um, you know, just based on kind of what projections have been. And the the one thing that I think I can say for this team is is they've kind of taken the lessons of last year in, in the way that they put things together. And, you know, they, they've gotten, they've gotten older on the mound. They've, gotten older uh, at the plate. They've got more depth in the pitching staff. They've got more depth, um, you know, in, in terms of options at the plate. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, you, you you need some guys to kind of rise up and have good seasons behind Max Anderson and Griffin Everett and, and Bryce Matthews. And, you know, it, it, on the mound, I think they're a little bit better set up. They've got veteran guys in the bullpen, which always helps you. Um they really like what Emmett Olson can be as a Friday night starter. And they added Jace Kaminska, the transfer from Wichita state that they feel like can be a Saturday guy. And they he's worked hard to develop a third pitch. So th- th- it seems like the pieces are more in place. And, you know, I think the expectations being toned down a little bit will probably be a good thing for this team. It's just when you're around them, it feels like a much different group. And I think that's a good thing because at times last year, it was, uh, I, I don't, I don't think the coaches would probably say that it was a great group to be around. For those listening who haven't taken a close look at the schedule, can you kind of set up the early non-con and sort of the, I mean, Nebraska in past years, it, they obviously you go to warm weather sites a lot of times and you take on some really good competition right off the bat. And that can be tough, especially when you're coming from, this neck of the woods, but what, what are the opportunities in place the next couple of weeks kind of set it up what they're facing? Yeah. So they they'll have three weekends of non-con play before they get to Haymarket park in March. And they start with four games at San Diego, um, university of San Diego this weekend, uh, they're picked to win the West coast conference. So, um, definitely, uh, a, a team that's going to be a test right out of the gates. Also, uh, Mark McGuire's son, I believe is on the, the roster there, uh, in San Diego. So, uh, make note of that in your scorecards now. Um, after that, they go to South Alabama for three games, get, uh, get a visit lovely mobile this time mm-hmm. of year. 
And then um, it's not the not the DQ classic like it was in olden days, but the the Cambria classic uh, up at the Bird Death Dome in Minneapolis. Hey, uh, hey. they they get uh, it's basically it's a tough one. They've got uh, Vanderbilt. uh, They've got Ole Miss and believe hawaii is the third team they've got that weekend um i'm not sure why they felt like hawaii needed to come to minnesota in 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 early march to play baseball but uh i believe that's the third team that nebraska gets uh that weekend so you know you're going to be tested the first two weekends and then oh by the way you're playing two of the best teams in the sec uh right before you come home for essentially a month of, of games in the state of Nebraska. So uh, that that's the challenge ahead. Will Bolt is always going to schedule tough early in the season because if you win those games, you set yourself up really well later in the year for regional conversations, potential hosting, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it's uh, that's the schedule. Now the challenge is taking care of your own business. Brunson, in your years of doing this, is it harder for a team to get the bats going or to have the pitching ready to go against live hitting in these first couple weeks? Uh, or does it really just depend on the type of team that you have? It depends on the type of team. I think pitching is always a little bit tougher because especially the first few weeks, there's like occasionally you're playing – you know, four games in a weekend, and it doesn't seem like a big deal. But when you're having to hold out somebody for that fourth game to start, it's typically somebody that like would probably pitch in a high pressure situation in those first three games. It makes it tougher. And you're still trying to figure out roles and where guys are comfortable because it's one thing to do it in a scrimmage. It's another thing to to get out there and do it when it when it actually matters. I remember Darren Erstad always tells a story about you know Chad Lindsman was throwing like seven or eight miles an hour slower than what he had been um, in in the opening weekend. And they thought he'd hurt his arm, but it turns out he was just so nervous that the, the velocity wasn't there. So that's something you have to kind of deal with that first weekend is just, uh, you know, guys being comfortable and, and figuring out, you know, who handles what situation, how many times a guy can pitch in a weekend. I mean, there's some guys that can throw Friday and then come back in a relief role, you know, on Saturday or Sunday or Sunday or Monday in a four week series, but four game series, but uh, you, you just never know until you actually have to do it. No doubt about it. Anything else that uh, you guys want to hit on before we shut mm. this thing down? Do you guys have a favorite uh, jury day sport? It's a bad, it's kind of a dreary day here in Lincoln. Do you have a, it was making me think of like uh, bad weather sporting events or drizzly days or rain or snow do you have a favorite like Bennett you'll appreciate this because it ties together things that you've experienced you were probably at the game the 2009 Missouri game that Thursday night just played in awful awful weather Nebraska was terrible for three quarters um I'm working for the daily Nebraskan and obviously there's deadline it's a Thursday night game and so uh I have like my column largely written up about how, uh, you know, once again, Bo Pelini has the opportunity to take a step forward with the program. Can't do it. And then that whole fourth quarter happens. And it's just one of those like control a, uh, you know, delete your start from scratch and you have about 25 minutes to get this thing hammered out. I have no idea what I wrote 
I don't think it's particularly good. I should search the uh, search the daily Nebraskan annals to to figure out what that was. But that was one of those rare games where you know you work ahead and it completely blows up in your face. Well, the game got delayed by like an hour and a half, I think, uh, because of the weather. It it started. I don't even remember that. Yeah, there, there was a delay, and then of course at Missouri, you had the post game was under the stands. So you have a bunch of Missouri jack wagons like yelling and stuff in the background. Yeah, they were pretty quiet though, relative to what they would have been. That night they were. Uh, but the band they have their band come through one of those classic cases. Yeah, that's a good one. Um ninety two Nebraska, go. Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> that would be on our bingo board if we uh if we did a you know, passed out bingo boards to our longtime listeners. They can go ahead and just mark it off once they get a blackout. Yeah, you know, we send them uh, the quarter zip that they were supposed to receive in 2013. That was a cold game. It was rainy too. Yeah, wasn't a good game for uh, Cordell and Coy Detmer. 91 Nebraska Oklahoma comes to my mind. It was played on basically like an ice rink type field. Calvin Jones Nebraska scored like the last 19 points. One of the best defense chants, which isn't used enough anymore, where the whole stadium full throat was like. Dang. You know, like you don't get those anymore. That that game had it. All you get now is the stand up and shout. <laughs> See, I'm bringing it back to the beginning where I'm saying how. <laughs> I was just going to say, Brunson's going to be explaining to his kid about how defense used to be a yeah. chant. <laughs> yeah. And now everyone just screams loud noises. People used to come to games with a big D and a big picket fence. That's how we That's how we cheered for defense back then. None of that Sadie Hagar crap. Yeah, oh, man. you know, you know what else is a great stadium? Uh, what used to be a staple that's gone is uh, they did it against Miami in 2014. At the end, they did the na na goodbye where you you say goodbye, sing goodbye, you serenade them. When the whole crowd does that song, that's a that's a that's a middle finger. That's like a <laughs> like it is that that should come back because that's like nothing can make you feel worse. I think if you're on the field than a whole stadium like see ya. You know, and that it's too bad that's gone away. Based on how Bro- that night went, there were probably more than a few middle fingers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there too. definitely was one. <laughs> Eric Eric Flowers from Miami gave the crowd one. I remember. Yeah, Brunt, what's the longest uh, rain delay that you sat through for Nebraska baseball? Uh there's been a couple couple hours. I would say um, there like was a two and a half hour one. There was like a Northwestern series a few years ago. I feel like there was a pretty lengthy rain delay for maybe I'm misremembering the opponent, but I've, I've sat through a few. I feel like you have a pretty good sixth sense though, of giving me games when you're going to be gone. <laughs> that, I just uh, I just have you cover all the Nebraska Michigan games, oh, which, which for some reason tend to you know the rain delay plus Michigan's willingness to just walk 47 batters in a game somehow survive it. Thanks, Nate Adcock. I'll never, I'll never not be mad about that Friday night game. Just trash, straight trash. That's all I got. I'm out. I don't have any. Uh, I don't have any other weather weather stories to add. Yeah, I'm done dealing too. Brunch, bring us home. Well, if you want that and more, including <laughs> Super Bowl recipes, old man takes, and recruiting coverage, and football team coverage, basketball coverage, baseball coverage. We're at that. Uh, we're at the nexus of the sports universe where all seasons collide and come together. Do it at Husker twenty four seven. We'll have plenty on the site. Uh, lots of uh, 
kind of we're, we're almost getting into the the spring football preview portion of, of the calendar too so uh that'll all be on the site uh for, for mike schaefer and brian christopherson i'm michael brunts we'll be back with you with another podcast later this week